Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO, Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. How are you, Dan? I'm doing great, Chris. So, hey, why don't we just dive right in and take a look at most recent employment claims. Data show that labor improvement was, was starting to stall out a bit. Um, you know, our initial weekly claims remained flat at 884,000. And continuing claims, though we actually saw those increase 93,000 uh, up to 13.4 million. So, uh, you know, it, it appears that the, the temporary layoffs, they're beginning to shift to permanent job reductions. You know, the question here for you, you know, is, is a lack of improving employment conditions a real threat to the economic recovery uh, and to fundamentals for the equity market? Uh, we certainly need to see improvement continue. And, you know, the, the leveling off isn't too surprising as, as we've talked about in the past. We're kind of moving from the initial reopening to a, to a true sustainable recovery stage, and, and it's a question of what that looks like. And certainly when you look at high-frequency data, things seem to be leveling off. When we look at our more uh, intermediate-term indicators, what it indicates to us is the industrial side of the economy, the rate of recovery there continues at a very brisk pace. It actually continues to broaden out. Uh, and as we've talked about in the past, the, you know, that's the more cyclical areas of the economy. So in typical slowdowns and recoveries, they kind of experience the bullwhip effect down and back up. So we're still very much in an upswing on the industrial side of the economy. And that's a, a very positive factor. And I would expect employment in those areas to continue to pick up. Uh, that being said, this slowdown really did impact services to a greater extent than any recession we've had in the past. Um, and there's no question that without somewhat of a, a fiscal impulse, um, it's going to be difficult for that services recovery to continue. Um, and it's going to definitely be a threat to, uh, you know, at the equity markets. It's just a question of uh, valuations, pricing expectations. Clearly, Congress is starting to play politics with any further stimulus, which is a real shame because it's a real it's real pain to to Main Street while it's just political game gamesmanship for Congress. So, yeah, no, there's a there's definitely a potential threat here, um, but it really is going to be on the services side of the recovery. The industrial recovery is very much intact not just here, but in all the major economies around the world. And, and that, that improvement is going to be there and continue to be there. Right. So, you know, as you described, you know, industrial cyclicals, they continue to broaden out. Uh, you know, we continue to expect an upswing for industrials and, you know, the services industry is certainly impacted. So, you know, if, if I'm reading through you, uh, reading through your, what you're describing here, it, it certainly sounds like a potential bifurcation in, in economic conditions. Um, and you know, described, you know, the, the strength in industrials versus potential slowing in the recovery for the services sector. So, you know, do you expect an increase in QE from the Fed to further support economic conditions or and, and further beyond that? Do you, do you think that this QE would be or will be effective? Yeah, you know, I, I do. It's a question of when we get more QE in my mind rather than will we. Um, you know, it could be just a product of um, an increase in, in fiscal deficits through expanded stimulus measures that requires the Fed to print more money to fund those deficits. To me, that would be the bull case. Um, and it's kind of my base case for 
the general economy and the market now, but unfortunately, I do think that's a post-election event, and I don't expect the U.S. to have the election results uh, the day after we vote. I think it could be uh, months before we get clarity on the election. So um, with that, I think we could get a lot of another big round of QE or an increase in the in the current level of QE just if we experience more market volatility. It's clear to me that that the Fed really can't have a material impact on the real economy from here. Monetary policy is done as far as its impact on improving economic conditions. Uh, they can have a, a very direct impact on capital markets. So I do think QE will remain effective in capital markets. Should we see volatility either in interest rates in spreads or uh, an exaggerated decline in equity markets because of real rates increasing, uh, then I think we will will see a pretty quick response out of the Fed. Uh, but again, I, it, it'll just be a, a temporary Band-Aid on market volatility, uh, and I don't think it'll have any impact on the real economy. And, and as you're a bit describing some volatility out in the future, you know, I, th- I think it's uh, bears to mention what we've seen over the last week or so, and, and you know, seasonally, this is a, a volatile period for markets. And you know, we've seen a, a sizable sharp sell-off in the equity markets, with with a number of the market leaders declining um, in excess of, of 10%. So, um, you know, do you think this is this is normal seasonal correction that's that's run its course? And, and do you think that this is a, a dip that investors should be buying into? Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. Clearly, we have the normal seasonal impacts. Um, and so we have volatility this time of year, every year. And so that's to be expected. I do think there's a couple of added elements to this. One is we're going into a, a, a very bifurcated uh, environment around the election cycle. Um, and I think you'll get two very different narratives depending on the winner. And that's certainly going to cause some volatility leading into November, and that's adding to it. But we shouldn't underestimate kind of the speculative nature we've seen in this recovery, whether it's the aggressive buying of short-term call options that have been driving uh, individual stock price activity, um, and and primarily out of retail accounts as well. Uh, The momentum we've seen around some of the, the stock narratives that are solely tied to stock splits. You know, this is the kind of stuff we see in blow-off tops, right? Very narrow performance. So the rally off the bottom, while everybody participated initially, the reality is, you know, it was, it's been a very narrow market leadership uh, looking back for the full year. And those are all really indications that uh, we're either going to experience uh, something a little bit more then a seasonal dip, right? It could be that we're starting to see uh, the volatility increase as we have rotation out of current leadership into other areas of the market, or it could be we're going to see an increase in leader or increase in volatility. Uh, quite frankly, because we're we're past the reopening, we're past the easy recovery that we'll experience over the next two to three months. And when you look at the yield curve and the euro dollar market, it's saying that it's going to be a very slow growth period. And 
um, you know, that's, that's going to be a real challenge for current valuation. So uh, I'm going to keep my mind open. This could be certainly more than seasonal volatility. I'm not ready to be an aggressive dip buyer here. There's a couple of things I'd like to see. One, we've seen greater volume on down days than up days. I'd want to see that reverse. Two, towards the end of this bull, most recent bull run, we're actually seeing an increase in NASDAQ volatility and market volatility, even though prices were moving higher. And it's been to the extent that it's actually caused a, a step function shift higher in the volatility, not just in the NASDAQ and in, in large caps, but in the small cap sector as well, in commodities, primarily oil, um, and that's not good kind of for the health of the market. So we need to see volume pick up on updates. We need to see volatility continue to compress and come down. Uh, and if we don't see that, this will start to look more like a bull trap and something a little more, uh, a little more difficult than your typical seasonality. Um, and we'll see, you know, what it's really a reflective of over time. Okay. So, so I think I got a pretty good grasp here on you know why we could see some extended volatility above and beyond the normalized seasonal volatility. But could you just set the kind of the the base case or what's a normalized trend this time of year um, with respect to seasonal impacts and seasonal volatility and, and what what causes that? Yeah, you know, it's a there's I think there's a seasonal element around. Uh, tactical portfolio allocation, you know, managing tax basis, um, and you seem to have a little bit more, um, you know, what I'd call cutting of the flower and watering the weeds, meaning sell some of your winners and, and redeploy into some of the underperforming areas. And you see a lot of large institutions do that. So that certainly drives some of the seasonal factors here. Uh, and typically, you know, to experience a a 10% drawdown uh, fairly sharply that then, you know, bounces back into that fourth quarter strength we're used to wouldn't be unusual. Um, I'm just not. I'm just not sure that that there's not more at work here. Uh, that when you when we look at this, um, I think it could certainly signify a fairly significant shift in regime, um, and it may be the market and the economy starting to realize that it's going to take a lot of fiscal spend and a very different uh, economic uh, drivers, meaning federal budget spending monetized by the Fed with the desire to not only close the inequality gap, wealth inequality gap, but also to drive inflation higher. Um, and that that's a very serious threat to the broad averages for sure. Right. And so if you talk about the, the speculative nature of this recovery. Um, you just mentioned the fiscal spend. You talked about some things were, were you know, somewhat atypical um, uh, case in point that the retail purchases of, or buying of, of short term call options. Um, and then you follow up that, you know, you're you're not quite a buyer of, of this dip. So to the extent that this market volatility turns out to be more than a correction, um, do you think that there, there's a chance that this is actually indicating the end of the bull market, um, or do you, do you think there's some other factors at work here? Yeah, I, I think the most important thing is none of us know, right? So, but I do think it's important that we have a map 
and key indicators that would indicate whether this really is the end of a bull market or there's other factors at work. You know, for for this to be, in my mind, the end of the bull market rather than just a, if it's, and I say this, if this is more than just a seasonal correction, if it's going to be the end of a bull market versus a very violent uh, shift to where we get market leadership out of other sectors, there's a couple of elements I think that we'll, we'll see fall into place. One, we should see the, the weakness in the dollar that we've seen for the last several months turn out to be a counter trend move and that we start to see uh, significant strength in the dollar, that the upcoming temporary inflationary, stagflationary impulse we're going to get out of the base effects starts to translate in a, you know, in a few months into kind of a negative inflationary outcome such that we have a rising dollar, falling inflation, falling economic growth, higher real rates, and we don't get a significant response out of fiscal authorities uh, and monetary authorities, then that's definitely going to move into a disinflationary and potentially a deflationary outcome. And that, in my mind, would signify the end of the bull market. Um, and what you would see is a fall not only in the, in the, in the leadership we've had in the market out of large cap growth uh, stock, but you'd probably also see a fall, a fall in, in, in the value in more cyclical areas as well. And there's no reason that that's not the case. And certainly you could even argue that that's the base case if we had no fiscal and monetary support. Um, but at the same time, I think this, if this turns out to be more than just seasonal weakness, it could be a part of just the extremes we've seen uh, between growth and value and and really what it turns out to be is financial assets versus commodities and the desire for nearly all central banks uh, to create inflation to deal with the excess debt around the world. And if that's the case, then this isn't necessarily the end of the bull market, but an end of the current leadership. And typically, when we get a big regime shift in market leadership, it happens at a time of great upheaval and a lot of volatility. Um, and so let's say we continue down this path of volatility, we really start to see the market break down. We start to see Apple correct and start to see that spread out. The narratives start to change to where, you know, negative price momentum gets bare narratives versus what we've seen with positive price momentum and people kind of making stuff up as to reasons why it's justified. Um, both of those environments would look like and be very similar to the end of a bull market and a regime shift. I think the key differentiator is going to be what are the policy responses we see to those conditions, number one. And then number two, within the market internals, meaning What's outperforming? What's underperforming? Where is volume picking up to the upside versus where is it picking up to the downside? And what's happening to volatility across sectors will give us an indication as to whether that's the end of the bull market or it's just a very large violent sector rotation. Uh, because given the positioning in the market and the, and the predominant narratives that exist, 
you're not going to be able to see a rotation to the value in cyclicals and commodities in a smooth manner. It's going to be incredibly volatile, and I don't see mathematically how it can occur without the averages falling as it's underway. Yeah. Well, I think that's great. I think that gives us, you know, provides us quite a few guideposts to keep our eye on, whether it be the dollar, the, the rotation, and or the, show me the closing that gap or the potential rotation growth to value. Um, looking for, for central banks to find a way to, to create inflesh, inflation and deal with excess debt. Um, you know, I think this is you know, really interesting stuff. This has provided us a, a lot of uh, markers to keep our eye out on for the next uh, you know, short to, to medium-term cycle. And with that, we'll, uh, we'll keep, keep watching, we'll keep chatting, and uh, we'll see where we can go from here. So thank you very much for today, Chris, and we'll talk soon. You bet. Sounds good, Dan. Take care. You got it. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.